Okay, so I got a couple pictures for us to start here.
less support Austin Mangum and Amy, and let's do this. I'm so pumped, I'm so excited. Um, but on this particular trip, we're working with some people from Central Arkansas, uh, AKA the Bears, the Central Arkansas Bears, um, longtime rivals in the Southland Conference. Yeah, go Bears. Um, but we're working with them and we're following up on and assisting with the work that they've established. So they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. I do love them, but they're not like my little brothers, you know? So I'm like, okay, well, I see the work they're doing. I see the value to it. I think we can contribute to this. Um, and we had some meetings while we were there. Um, um, and at some point, we discussed some things. And they said, Jason, what do you think? And I was like, sounds good. Um, okay. And they said, okay, well, let's put together basically a board for this. You know, like a board you're a part of that makes decisions and stuff. And I generally do not like boards. Boards are boring. Okay? Boards consist of meetings. Um, um, I'm not that great in meetings. I tend to like, if I'm not leading the meeting, uh, lose, I have short attention span. And I daydream a lot. And people ask me things in the middle of the meeting and I'm like, oh, where, where, where were we? And then they're like, why are you here? And so I'm like, oh shoot, I'm about to be put on a board and have this place. And I'm like, I don't want this. And so one of the nights when I was sitting there looking at the skyline after I was placed on this board, you wouldn't call it a board, but it's a board, right, Trevor? Yeah. It's a board. And so I'm like, why did I end up on this board? What am I supposed to do? And it clicked for me. I got it. I thought about you guys. Aww. And I'm like, oh. Because I was looking at myself, like, I don't belong on this board. I don't know if I can contribute to it. And then I thought, no, I can contribute to it. I represent the students of San Diego State University. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You guys here, all your friends that are home for the summer, and people that are coming here and don't even get to know they're going to be a part of this family. God's, God's grooming them and bringing them to be a part of this family, and I represent them too. So being a part of this board, I'm like, okay, God wants to do something here that could spread from here all around the world, just like he has in Huntsville, and he wants to use him. He's going to be a part of it, and I need to represent our students. Okay, God. Okay? So I said yes. I think they expected me to say more in that meeting, but I just said, sounds good. <laughs> like somebody that doesn't like work meetings or meetings. Okay, so we're still in Acts, as Craig said. Let's look at this. Uh, part of the answer to my question beyond you guys, why are we here? Why was I there in Mozambique? Is found in Acts. So we're going to look at that, okay? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. We've gone over this before. We started Acts in the spring. We're continuing it through the summer, right? This should sound familiar to you, but we need reminders. We need to recut. We go over things again to get it into our minds and hearts, right? So here we go. Acts 1 and 2. Um, let me pray first. Lord, thank you for your word. I recognize that it's so potent, it's so powerful, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can deal with our emotions, our heart, our intellect, all that we are. It's made for us. And as we look at it tonight, Lord, would you speak to us through it? Um, beyond my words, would you, would your spirit speak to the spirits of each of us here? Yeah. And may we hear from you in the deepest part of us. Amen. Amen. In my former book, Theophilus, who's talking? Anybody remember? Luke. Oh, man, you guys are good students. Eat them up, cats. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Two things we're going to look at. All that Jesus began to do and teach. So Jesus was in ministry on earth for three years. 
and it was just the beginning of all he's going to do and teach. Who does it continue on through? Well, first off, the disciples in the early church, and they pass it on, and it continues with us today. That's why I was in Mozambique. I'm, I'm continuing to do what Jesus began to do and teach a couple thousand years ago. So crazy that we get to be a part of this, right? It never gets old. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Okay, what instructions did he give before Jesus left? All right, I heard both, I think. First off, in Acts, it says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Get power for the service I'm calling you to, right? And then there was an instruction before this, and that um, is called the Great Commission. What is that? Yes. Go ye therefore, King James, right? And make disciples of all nations. Okay, so in Acts, they were obedient to wait for the Holy Spirit. And what happens? They wait for the Holy Spirit. He comes in power, is poured out, and then the Lord adds to their number daily. Daily, right. Okay, we covered that in the spring. If you weren't here, tell them what we did. The Lord added to their number daily in Jerusalem. But then persecution broke out and they were scattered. Yeah. Right? Okay, they were scattered. And so this is all like God is wringing his hands. And he's freaking out, wondering what's gonna, how he's going to save his plan. No. This is all according to plan, right? Yeah. This is all according to plan. Yeah. The church is scattered and goes out and begins to fulfill what is in by design from him. The church has never suffered from persecution. It's suffered, but I mean the fruit of the church has never suffered. Okay, yeah. The church has always flourished under persecution. The church has suffered most in times of plenty. Yeah. Look out America, right? Uh-oh. Okay. Then, then this important side note, um, there's this guy named Saul, who's one of the primary antagonists of the church, yeah. terrible persecutor of the church, not just like minor affliction, but Stephen's death. Yeah. He's there approving it, leading it, right? Okay, well, Jesus puts a target on him and picks him off, right? Knocks him off his donkey as he's riding to Damascus one day. Nobody is above the reach of Jesus. Nobody is above the reach of Jesus. So just a, a quick point there. We need to remember this and we need to ask ourselves, who could he want to pull into his service through you this year? So the people that, that God actually used to bring Paul into his service were known in people. But their, their names are brought up because they brought Paul in. But before and after, they're not mentioned. Yeah. Right? And then, and then Barnabas, he's another old, but um, even he fades after a bit. But he's used and he brings in Paul. So that could be us. Like, who does the Lord want to bring in through us? And there's there's nobody. So we do have this hierarchy of people. And we, we do make, like, some people, like, oh, man, uh, I don't know. If I approach that person and get a song over me, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord could move in their heart. There's there's nobody beyond him. Right. And we have to we have to get that into our hearts and our spirits. The Apostle Paul, I mean, it, it talks about his own afflictions. It doesn't appear that he was the most attractive dude. Um, he wasn't a physical specimen, but as as far as like he's considered even my secular story is to be one of the greatest humans. Okay, like, just like one of the top ten people of all time. When you consider his life and his influence. 
Yeah. It's insane. Okay. But that's all set in motion by some people that are just faithful to what God's given them. Yeah. And, and they see in Paul what nobody else sees. Okay? So that's possible for us. Yeah. I didn't plan to say that. Okay, then we have in Acts, I'm kind of zooming through Acts if you didn't know that right now. Um, then we have Peter's vision, which, which Sam covered last week um, and brought to us by way of the prodigal son, or, or more appropriately, the, the elder son and the father's heart story. Um, okay, so what happens in Peter's vision? Like Peter is given a vision and shown, like through some animals being dropped down, that he thinks are unclean. He says, go and eat. And this is a picture for him to see, no, hey, you need to reach the Gentiles. Yeah. And don't say anything is unclean if I say it's clean. Yeah. Right? Okay? Um, and so what happens is the Jews actually widely reject the gospel, and Peter is then encouraged to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? Yeah. All right. So that brings us to Acts chapter 13. 1 to 3, where I want to look at tonight. Okay, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, um, and then we're going to skip back to 11 for a moment, only because it helps explain Acts 13. Okay? Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Here we go. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, that means he ran high company, and Saul, also Paul. Okay, I probably will interchangeably use those tonight because if we're in that portion of Acts where he's like Saul moving towards Paul. Okay, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We'll come back to that. Okay. What God is always doing is He's always building an army. He's never building just an audience. Yeah. Yeah. God is building an army, not an audience. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at this. Acts 13, how does it start? In the church at Antioch. These are the people. This is the group that set apart, prayed for, and sent Barnabas and Saul off on their first missionary journey. Okay? So let's look at them. Who were these people that sent? This is like this is the first missionary journey. This is missions is unknown until this point. You could say missions happened inadvertently through the persecution, but this is the first deliberate, purposeful mission trip, which we're doing our mission trips this week. They follow this. Yeah. They get the game plan from this, from Acts, from what we're looking at tonight. Okay? So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Who is they? It's the church. Antioch. Let's look at a few points about it. Okay. So Antioch was a gathering of many women compelled by the Spirit of Jesus. I point that out because it wasn't like they were compelled. Even they eventually had leadership, but initially there's not even clear leadership in the Antioch church. They're just scattered and persecuted and they go out. But they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're communing and fellowshipping with each other. So they're still hearing from God. Yeah. And following him and practicing obedience to what they know to be true. Okay? The Lord honors that. He moves and they begin to grow. Okay? But it is this it's a definitely a decentralized church on the go with no big names, just obedient disciples. That's like good ingredients for the Lord to move. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting the glory. It's not being drawn, attention's not being drawn to anybody else. 
and it's decentralized church on the go, which means they came to Antioch, if they left home, and so they're not they're not ready to set down and get fixing where they shouldn't be. They're ready to be on the move, saying, Lord, we, we've already left our home, what, what's next? So they're not like, yeah, overly occupied with home and the comforts of it. Um, I already said it was growing, and what we see is it included the Greeks, which are the Gentiles, which were not Greek. Some of us might have some Greek in us. Anybody know any Greek? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe the letters from fraternities and sororities, right? That's about it. Chi Alpha, right? Uh, Blaze, my, my 11-year-old, just named his uh, fish. He got Greek, uh, no, he had two fish and he gave one of the fish a Greek name and he named one of the plants a Greek name. And he told me this, but those are Greek names, Dad. I'm like, yeah, I actually knew that. But. <laughs> so the church was growing and it included Greeks, which means it included Gentiles, which means we get included. Yeah. That's us. Okay, CJ left. I don't know if there's any Jews among us tonight. But it's kind of cute. Yeah. If you don't know CJ, he's, he's a, uh, one of our beloved former Kyle guys, alumni of Sam, of the internship and all that, former staff member, now doing Kyle in Boston. Okay, the church was growing and it included Gentiles, which means we get included. Okay, we are brought in. Okay, here's Acts 11 19 through 21. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's how they got there, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The church was growing, and it was not confined to the Jews it is being shown right here that it is for the gospel is for everybody. There's nobody excluded. The gospel is for everybody. Here's another another notable point. Antioch is where the believers were first called Christians. Christians. You guys know that? Yeah. Interesting point about that is it was it seemingly was a bit derogatory by the people that called them Christians, but it was also quite complimentary. It basically meant like you guys look like Jesus and you act like him too. So, not so bad. Call me a Christian. That's what it means. Okay, finally, as a church on the go, they were senders. We see them sending Barnabas and Saul. Who were Barnabas and Saul? The church was not notable in that it didn't have big names. Peter, James, John, the disciples. These guys are in Jerusalem. The elders of the church are not there. They're in Jerusalem. Okay? But what we do see is that... Where was it going there? My brain just went... Yeah, they sent their best. We do see this. These guys are their very best. The church is growing. And this is how Barnabas actually gets there. The church is growing in Jerusalem. They're like, hey, do you see what's going on over there? Let's send Barnabas over there. You know what it says about Barnabas? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's pretty simple, though. That's not like no MDiv. 
no credentials, just, he's a good man. Let's send him over there. He's got some faith, and he walks with the Holy Spirit. There were other bigger names, more notable people, but they picked Barnabas, a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, a good man. Okay? Here it is. Acts 13, 2 and 3. I read it once. I'll read it again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on him and sent him off. Okay, they didn't bring God into their plans by prayer and fasting. Let me note that. God called them to worship and pray and then brought them into his plan. That's how it always works. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. God didn't bring... Uh, they didn't bring God into their plans by they pr- their prayers. God called them to worship and pray, and then he brought them into his plan. Yeah. Okay? So this is how it works. Some of you guys have heard me mention this before. But when God gets down with business, he gathers his children to himself. Yeah. Okay? Um, I actually tried to take Blaze on the trip to Mozambique. Blaze, again, is my 11-year-old. Um, and Matt Carpenter, the guy that put together this trip from central Arkansas, he's... He's known for doing that. Like he's, he's taking his kids like on one month long trips before, and taking the whole family. I think it's just awesome. Like great experience for the kids, for the whole family together. Um, so I was trying to. I told Blaze I would take him on a mission trip. And so I was trying to get him to go on this trip. It turned out it just was not the setting uh, for kids. This wasn't the trip for him, right? This was not going to be the best scenario for him. Um, so what happens then? And this is so often the case when when I get down to business. I have to say, Blake, sorry, this trip's not for you. He stays back. Okay? Um, often when I do things with Kai Alpha, when I'm speaking to him, I didn't bring Blake with me. It's like, hey, I'll be back. See you in a couple hours. I gotta go take care of this. And I feel like I have a message from the Lord. And I remember that. Um, but that's what I do. So often when I get down to business, it actually means I separate from my children. I love to play catch. I love to do all the things I do with him. Right? But often when I do the work that God's called me to, it means separating from them. Yeah. Yeah. But when God gets down to business with his children, he doesn't separate. When he wants to really do something great, when he wants to shape the world, he actually gets down on his knees, comes down with us, and he gathers us to himself and shares his heart with us. That's good. Yeah. And pulls us in close and includes us. And he doesn't give us like leftover jobs. He doesn't give us stuff. He does it with us. That's the crazy part. And he calls us to do stuff we can't even do. And then we say yes to him. He enables us to do it as we say yes to him. But he's given the most important work to do. Bringing in his children, his lost children. There's nothing more precious and valuable to him. And he's given that work to us to do. It's not like a side job. It's like, oh, this will kind of entertain him. It is the greatest work. And when he gets down to business, he pulls us into it. What Barnabas did is so notable is he saw the church in Antioch was beyond his own skill set and he went and found Saul to help him. This is consistent with how God is doing things through Antioch. Uh, I hope it's consistent with how we do things here at San Houston and any mission movement beyond here. Is that, that Barnabas, he at this point, later, Paul becomes the lead figure in that relationship and in this whole missionary work. But initially, it's Barnabas, the lead guy. And you know what he does? He looks at the work to be done, and he like, sees the church growing, and he's like, this is crazy. This is the move of God. 
and I'm not up to this. But I think I know who is, and we can do this together. That's great leadership. So much of leadership is not you digging deeper inside of yourself and saying, I can do this. I can do this. And looking further and further or trying to develop another skill set that you're never really going to develop. So much of leadership is opening your eyes to who God has put around you. And seeing what they don't even get seen for themselves and bringing that out. This is what Barnabas does. This is the church in Antioch. And this is Barnabas. And he's like, Saul, who will become Paul, one of the greatest ten humans in the world, not on the map at this point. Like, he's doing some things. He's in Tarsus, but Barnabas goes to Gideon. And if you look at him now, if we look back over history, like, Paul had, like, the portfolio to become. Like, it's from his childhood on up. God is crafting this man to become everything that he was. Yeah. yeah. But people are afraid of him. Nobody's seeing it. And Barnabas has eyes to see and says, I'm going to get Paul. I'm going to bring him into this work. And it takes off. And they spend an entire year together in Antioch, raising up. So this is what I'm saying. They're sending out the best. So Barnabas and Paul are the leaders of the church in Antioch. They're the, the disciple makers here. And they're raising up the people to become what they need to be in Christ, to conform to his image. And then the church turns around and sends them. Yeah. And it's like, well, those... Those are your leaders. No, this is how the Lord does things. He sends his best. Where did they go? They went to Cyprus, the city in Antioch, which is not the same Antioch. That's got got an Antioch in Syria, got an Antioch in Turkey. Then got Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Um, So this is their first missionary journey. They hit one, two, three. It's kind of, yeah. They hit multiple places. And in, in such succession and quickness that, that no place feels like they are the destination. Mm-hmm. And that's intended and that's good. Yeah. It's like these guys are on a mission and they want us to be pulled into it. And we get to be a part of it. But no place is the destination. No place yeah. is the, the game. Okay? Yeah. So, um, on this trip, we actually passed through South Africa for a couple days on the trip to Mozambique. And uh, I got to have dinner one night um, with this, I mean, he's a pretty notable church friend. So, I mean, at first I'm kind of like not even realizing who I'm having dinner with, and then I'm talking to him and being like, oh, this guy's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and so his, he's got this thing called the Zambia Project. And their their goal and their intention is to raise is to plant 220 churches in Western Zambia, mm. so that everybody in that region has a church within walking distance. Okay, so he started a church planting movement there in Western Zambia, and then then he left it. And I'm like, why would you leave that? And so I left that to come back and plant a church in George, South Africa, another country, not that close, so that I can. Build a church that is a missions sending church that can raise funds and raise up people to further what needs to happen in Zambia. Wow. So I was like, super cool. But then I've been told recently, like, hey, if if you in missions, make sure that you never make one place 
just a means to an end. And I understood that. Like, you need to add a value to every place you go to. But I, I said to this guy, his name is Paul, Paul Collar. And I said, what if you reach one place to reach another place? Doesn't that make it a means to an end? And he's sitting there at the dinner table over this hamburger, and he goes, no. Like, passionately excited. He's like, no. And so I'm like, okay, talk further. And he said, no. Everybody needs a mission, and you're pulling them into the greatest mission on earth. He said, I have absolutely no problem with coming to anybody and saying, no, you're, you're not the end here. But you get to be a part of this. You're made to be a part of this. Everybody yeah. needs a mission, and this is the greatest mission on earth, and you should be a part of it. And in doing that, he's changing the world in George, South Africa, which is, um, they got a beautiful beach nearby, much better than Galveston, right, Trevor? <laughs> but it's not, whole, not a whole lot more notable than Huntsville. It does have two two malls <laughs> that are actually kind of nice. Okay. Not smalls, right? <laughs> but still, like, in the grand scheme of things, you guys have never heard of George, right? you never heard of George, South Africa, right? Okay. I never heard of George, South Africa. They're literally changing the world from George, South Africa. Okay, so I was sitting on this balcony, and I'm asking myself again, why Mozambique? Why are we here? It is a continuation of our calling as a community of believers in the fashion of the Antioch Church. It is a continuation of our calling as Kai Alpha San Houston State following after the church in Antioch. Yeah. Um, if you could put that picture up with John Cochelle, Lauren, that would be great. So this is like a missions history lesson. Um, if you're, you're new to this tonight, I don't know if I should apologize, but I'll just clue you in as to what's happening. This is pretty much an insider talk, but it is kind of like, hey, this is the greatest mission on earth. Come join us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that right there is in, um, it's in Waterloo, Belgium, Napoleon. Uh, was in Waterloo a few hundred years ago, right? Yeah. Trevor's story in Sam. Yeah. Uh, so this is in two, the summer of 2000, just a few years ago, right? Uh, and so that obviously is a map. Um, the guy in the red in the corner there is uh, Steve Cutno, a missionary in the East, a longtime missionary in the Czech Republic, roommate of mine for a while. Uh, his wife is across the way, not the girl in the white. Uh, long sleeper, directly across the way. Oh, but they weren't dating. The flame began to, uh, it started on this trip. Missions can be conducive. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, useless information, what kind of thing. Um, so what John Cushell, many of you guys have heard of John Cushell, long time yeah. missionary yeah. friend uh, with us, and he's just pointing out all these areas of need throughout the world. And it's just a gripping moment. And, and we're just like, man, Lord, would, are you calling me to these places? I mean, there's an obvious need. Should I go? What can I do? You say, go make disciples of all nations. Is that, are you speaking to me about one of these places? Can I fulfill these needs? Can I meet them? So we're all sitting there, like, you know, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to John. Uh, I think they're going together. Um, and so I, I'm not in the picture. Eli's not in the picture. We're both in the room. Um, we get back from this trip, and Eli tells me later, he said, I went on that trip expecting a moment like this to happen. And I I went expecting to, and he was, you know, the primary director of Sandy's State for a long time. And at that point, he's like, I expected 
to leave San Diego State. Like maybe after this trip, like to get a word from the Lord, I felt like I was going to be given direction on this trip mm. for like my future, my next step. And, and then and then probably leave the post at San Houston and, and go to a different country. Maybe go to Europe. It was quite possible. So John was the, the, the Students for Christ, which is like Kyle Flynn Europe, the director for that in Europe. And he was thinking that Eli would be like the ideal man to take over university ministry for all of Europe. So instead, what happened, Eli didn't get that. What he did get was a word from John, where, where John told him, hey, Eli, you're not actually supposed to come here. And all the places that we've talked about that are full of needs, you're not supposed to go. You're supposed to go back to Huntsville. Okay, praise the Lord. Yeah. You're supposed to go back to Huntsville, the admissions base, a sending base. You're supposed to go back and raise people up that will in turn go to all these places. Yeah. So there's a lot happening here. I'm trying to get the story convinced. Years later, I say to John, hey, John, do you remember that? Because sometimes, you know, the Lord, you see and you share with someone with somebody, it means nothing to you. I say, John, do you remember that when you shared that with Eli? And he's like, oh, yeah, Jason. You don't have to remind me of it. I do not want to do that. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, no, I resisted God. I really did. I was like, no, Lord, no, no, he's he's your man for Europe. You need him here. He's like, no. He's going back to Huntsville. There's generations of, of students at San Diego State that need to hear the gospel and then be responsible to it. Yeah. And share the next generation. And many of them will go out and they will go to these places. And John said, I did not want to tell you. I wanted him to take my place and work with me for a bit. It's like, but instead. I delivered the message, and Eli went home, but it's all been fulfilled. Yeah. Or you could say, it's all been in motion. Yeah. It's not been fulfilled. It's still in motion. Yeah. Okay. So just some, some, some information. Since that time, and these are, these are just rough numbers, but we've raised roughly $7 million to do short, more short-term trips, just like that. Yeah to give us the bug, to give us the chance to see the needs around the world so that we can respond and go like, like Steve and Jennifer have. Um, roughly 2,000 students have participated in short-term trips um, and somewhere between 40 to 50, so you could roughly say 45 different countries resulting in many, many full-time missionaries across the nation and around the world from Huntsville, Texas, right? But I mean, that is astounding. And to think back to 2000, if you would have told us these numbers here, we'd have been like, no way. But now I actually look at these numbers, and they're small. When you consider the need. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've just begun. Yeah. We have just begun. And so we have different missionaries around the world as represented by our trips. Most of our trips are going to serve missionaries that have come out from here, right? Yeah. But man, almost, I, I'm a close friend with all of our missionaries. They're all like my brothers. Little brothers or peers. And very few of them have any momentum as far as discipleship at this point. We're still just getting off the ground. There's not many generations yet. Like we have our spiritual family tree here at St. Houston where you can, if you take LTC, you can see that you're here because somebody reached you, who reached in, who reached in, who reached in. 
We have very, we have very small spiritual family trees overseas. It's just beginning, which means there's just a lot of work to be done. We've just begun. Mm -hmm. Francis Xavier said this to the students of his day, give up your small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of Christ. Give up your small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of Christ. That's how he approached college students, college students in his time. Some kind of offensive. Give up your small ambitions. Some of us have big ambitions. A lot of people at St. Houston have big ambitions. Some don't because it's Sam. It's <laughs> just true. Right? A lot have big ambitions. But the biggest ambition at St. Houston State is small and it's self-centered. The biggest ambition at St. Houston State is way too small. If it's self-centered. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So Francis uh, Xavier was right to say, give up your small ambitions. He knew what he was saying. And he was trying to get attention. Give up your small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of Christ. So why Mozambique? Simply because Mozambique is another opportunity to do this. Yeah. To give up your small ambitions and trade them in for something bigger and greater. And so much of the ambitions that we have are put there by the Lord. They just need to be redeemed. Yeah. And we just need to take our hands off of them and let him show us what they're for. Okay? So we did this trip with, with brothers and sisters from central Arkansas. Um, and so they've gone before us. There's actually a couple that's been there for nine years, Matt and Andrew and Marlon. Some of you guys are going to get a chance. I'm talking about this because some of you guys are going to get a chance to work with them in the future, okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they've gone before us. They've been there for nine years. And in Mozambique, they're reaching some of the poorest, yet most academically students. Yeah. Mm. Let me describe this to you. So Mozambique is, there's 187 countries in the world right now. And there's places like Somalia, and I qualify Somalia. It's, it's on the map, but it doesn't even have a government, a legit government. Um, but 187 countries, Mozambique ranks 181 in poverty. Yeah. So, like, yeah, one of the poorest countries in the world. So, nearly 60% of their population, they're just subsistence farmers. You know what that means? They're not, they're not farming to like take it to the market on Saturday. They're farming to feed their mouths and their, their kids and not die. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no life beyond hand to mouth, let's, let's try and live, yeah. let's try and survive. That's more than half the population, okay? So, and then you have a pretty limited, when you're just trying to make it, the education system that you can imagine is not very strong, okay? It is a communist country as well. So I'm describing this so you guys know the opportunity we have there and we can invest it in the future. So these students are coming up out of this brokenness, poverty, just trying to survive. The average lifespan is under 55 years old. Okay? So they pretty continually are losing family members. It's just a way of life. You getting this? So poor, so broken. And yet some of them manage to do well enough in school, and then they take a standardized test, and it's like, cha-ching, like, whoa, 
we have a genius. And, and these guys are getting into their, their, their state university systems, which then that's paid for by the government. So I meet these people, I'm like, man, you guys are subsistence farmers, how do you go to school? Because we're like, you know, you guys are paying, right? So I'm thinking, how are these guys ever going to school? They're doing well on tests, and they're being brought in, and then they can study. And so what we have is like, they're, they're very poor, but it, and in many ways, it sets them up to be humble. And they've come from little means, and they're grateful when they're blessed. I mean, they're getting an opportunity academically. And then what we're seeing is we're reaching out to them. So campus outreach, the crazy thing, I've been all over the world. There's one beautiful thing about university campuses. College students are the same all around the world. They really are. I've talked to students in North Africa, Japan, Europe, now Southeast Africa, all over the world. South America, they're all the same. People your age have different languages, but there's a common culture. And we just, me and Trevor just walked up to students and we just met them and we just started having a conversation. Limited English, we're having a conversation and it works. And so they've been doing this for nine years and the students are so responsive. And responsible. Responsive and responsible with what they're given. So now they have 100 student leaders on 45 different campuses. Can you imagine that? This is what we're not seeing worldwide, is really a discipleship making movement yet. We're still getting off the ground. It's happening in Mozambique. They're making disciples that are making disciples. Trevor and I got to meet Paulo, he's the first Mozambican missionary in the history of the Mozambican church. And he's coming from a country that is so poor. You know what he's doing? He's asking, what can I do for Botswana? That's the heart of the Antioch church. Yeah. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart that goes, yeah, all Jesus began to do it. He's just begun, and it's got to go beyond. Yeah. It's never just for me. i got to share. Amen. I hope you get to meet Paulo someday. Yeah. He's got the heart of the Antioch Church. He's got the heart of, of Paul and Barnabas. So why am I talking about Mozambique? Because it's good soil that could lead to the reaching of many other nations, including the one the ones we're already at. Let me let me paint this picture for you and then we're gonna to move to a close. So we got good friends in North Africa doing missions. Right? You guys know some of these people I'm talking about. Um, we got good friends all throughout the Middle East, right? Some of you guys are about to go see some of these folks. Part of those countries having a discipleship making movement may not be through us. It may not, even we have missionaries there, but they, they might just be like the bridge. And other people come across them as the bridge and actually are the carriers of the gospel and the disciple makers. What am I saying? It's seeming that the Lord is doing something in a place like Mozambique. Mozambique's not the only place like this. But where there's real discipleship happening, and those people are being reached, and they're being responsible for what we're giving them, and they can more readily go in to the Middle East than you and I can with an American passport. Yeah. That's just the facts of it. They could come in, and even North Africa, but that's just north of the southeastern portion of Africa, right? 
they actually do understand the culture a whole lot better than we do. And it, as they move north, it's more and more Muslim. Mozambique right now has a civil like has a war going on even in the north of their country with Islam at the center. You know what's going to happen? These people we're reaching right now in Mozambique are going to move north with the gospel. Okay, so I'm telling you this, stay tuned. We will have opportunities coming. Okay? Potentially next summer, short-term trip to Mozambique. Ooh. Beyond that, if you do the internship, we're talking even about this, a potential CMITI, which would be like the CMIT with like an international piece at the end, where you could send you guys for like six weeks, a month or two at a time. And you could go in the university ministry, African context, so different and yet so similar. And it would be an incredible experience, a lot of fun, and transformative for you yeah. and the students there. It would be a Jesus thing. Okay? So, I'm stirring the pot for that. Nice. Be ready. Avery, next year. Okay, let's wrap this up. Responsibility is the miracle. The miracle grow of discipleship. Responsibility is the miracle grow of discipleship. You and I, we are conformed to the image of Jesus when we are all on task. When we are on mission for bringing in our brothers and sisters as we are brought in. You guys, you're here. You're at university, university at St. Houston to discover and prepare you for your life's work, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds kind of formal, but you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. No doubt, mission trips are an incredible catalyst to further this process, okay? Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about mission trips, and some of you are like, yeah, yeah, Jace, I hear you, but there's not another mission trip until next, like, spring break or next summer. I didn't go this year. What do I do with this in the meantime? Some of you are like, I didn't even know you guys did mission trips. <laughs> um, okay, what do you do in the meantime? Those best prepared for the future are those most engaged in the present. Yeah. Those best prepared for the future are those most engaged in the present. Yeah. That means that you and I have to right now, even in summer school, which is like I was on campus today. Gosh, it's sparse. There's nobody there. Even on campus this summer, potentially, especially this fall with a whole new crop of freshmen coming. Future, you have to look at it this way. Future missionaries are on their way. Yeah. yeah. They might be complete pagans mm. right now. But really, truthfully. They might be. They don't know Jesus yet. But Jesus knows them. Yeah. 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 And we are going to be rubbing shoulders with you guys as students, with other students that don't know what their life's calling is. And it could be to be a missionary on the other side of the world. It could be to go to Mozambique. Who knows? But they're not going to be aware of that. You are being made aware of that even tonight. And you being coming aware of it is the step towards them becoming aware of it. Okay? Mm -hmm. So our message to them, what is it? It's the same as Francis Xavier's, which was this again. Give up your small ambitions and come with me. I'm paraphrasing it to my words now. Give up your small ambitions and come with me safely. Yeah. Yeah.
we can say that to anybody on this campus. There's nobody above that. There's nobody above that. That's Eli's story, right? Water polo athlete moving towards preparing for the Olympics. He gives up his small ambitions. We're here today. Because of him laying down his ambitions, moving back to Texas, enrolling at San Houston State. So that's not, that's just God's way of doing things. So how much more does he want to do as we lay down our small ambitions? Yeah. And giving back to Jesus, how much more does he want to do in us and through us? Yeah. Worship band, could you guys come on back? I just want to take a moment for us uh, just to listen to the Holy Spirit contemplate what's been brought to us. And maybe the Lord, even, he can do that. It's, he can speak something directly to you tonight. Be open to that. But I think our job, our assignment, even in this moment tonight, is just to freshly say yes to it. Whatever you want to do, I say yes to you. And so let's just take a moment to do that. And then I want to close by, um, if we have any representatives of people going out this next week, we will lay hands on them together and pray with them. And we'll do, just like we saw in Antioch. We're going to lay hands on our brothers and sisters that are going on mission trips and send them out and see fruit happening next week.